Okay, yeah, Proverbs chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, just a reminder from kind of our tips from last week, uh, things work best when you bring your Bible, but if for some reason you forget your Bible don't have one, uh, we do have extras on this little back table here, so just make sure you grab one so you can follow along with us. But uh, we are going to review, uh, kind of just real quick, uh, where we've been. So uh, for even some of our incoming students, you haven't been here in the last several weeks when we've been studying Proverbs, and that's okay, but uh, really we've been talking about Proverbs being a book about uh, godly wisdom, what it looks like to live wise, uh, live life in a way that would be pleasing and honorable to God. And so the idea of wisdom, anybody remember what our definition of wisdom is? Can anybody remember off the top of your head? I've been asking you to memorize. Do you think you had an idea? Okay. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yep, it is worshiping God by rightly applying His truth to real life situations, right? So if you are still wanting to learn that and memorize that, guess what? It's on the back of your sheet this morning, so you can keep working on it. Uh, but it would be awesome for you to be able to be like, oh yeah, biblical wisdom. That's worshiping God by rightly applying His truth to real life situations. Um, you can understand that, right? So it basically means what it looks like to worship God in the day-to-day living of your life. And so that's what we've been encountering here, right? In the beginning of wisdom we talked about a few weeks ago is what? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. It means actually submitting your life to the Lord, living life his way rather than your own. It's really surrendering to that. A few weeks ago we learned that one of the biggest barriers to walking in wisdom is peer pressure. Uh, we talked about verses 8 through 19, the, the passage right before this, how often uh, the enticement of sin and, and sinful, sinful influences among peers is one of the greatest temptations that is trying to lead you away from listening to sound wisdom. Well, today we're going to see wisdom uh, get to say in things, right? So we've listened to the voice of kind of the peer pressure, the, the, what's trying to get you to stray away from wisdom. Now we're going to see wisdom calling out and what wisdom so desires for your life. So uh, let's do this. We're going to stand and we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20, down through the end of the chapter here. So Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Solomon writes, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but, I will, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away 
and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, We'll just pray real quick and ask for God's favor on our time this morning. So, God, we do ask that now. Uh, This is a a marvelous passage, one that requires uh, wisdom to better understand wisdom. And so I would ask that you would grant that to us. Grant that to me as I seek to communicate that clearly to our students. I even just pray right now for their hearts, Lord. This passage is all about having open ears, open hearts, open minds. And so I pray that you would provide that right now so that your spirit, through the ministry of your word, would change them for the glory of your name. We ask all this. Amen. All right. How many of you have heard of a gentleman by the name of Thomas Gray? Anybody heard of a Thomas Gray before? How many of you like poetry in this room? Nobody wants to admit it. I know some of you do. That's okay. Right? So Thomas Gray was a poet uh, in the 1700s. Because all of us like to study 1700s poetry, right? Uh, But in 1742, Thomas Gray wrote a relatively famous, but not quite as well-known, poem called Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College. You're like, oh yeah, that one. No. Listen to the words of the poem that he wrote, because I think some of the lines here will jump out in some sense of significance and familiarity. Uh, Gray writes in this poem, To each his sufferings all are men, condemned alike to groan, the tender for another's pain, the unfeeling for his own. Yet, ah, why should they know their fate? Since sorrow never comes too late, and happiness too swiftly flies, thought would destroy their paradise. No more, where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. Three hundred years later, that final line has become an important rallying cry for many in our society. This idea that to be ignorant is bliss. To be ignorant is freedom. It is to be joyful. It's better not to know certain things. And after all, what you don't know can't hurt you. And when paired with that final line, "'Tis folly to be wise," uh, we are met with an extreme contrast to what we get in the book of Proverbs. Solomon, and we could say this morning the rest of the Bible in many ways, testified that ignorance is far from bliss and that to be wise is far from foolish. In fact, our passage this morning would argue the exact opposite. And this morning, as we look at our passage, what I want you to really see the big idea that uh, Solomon is putting before us here is this idea that there is great danger in rejecting the call to follow wisdom. Uh, there is great folly and great danger by forsaking what God has put before you. Uh, to be ignorant is not a good thing. To be called simple and naive is not a good thing. There is actually great joy and great freedom in being wise, but you have to first be warned of the dangers of not heeding that wisdom. 
Uh, verses 10 through 14, you remember uh, foolish sinners were the ones raising their voices, trying to influence you to come their direction. But now wisdom is given the mic. She is the floor, and she provides here a clear warning to those who think that wisdom is not necessary. You don't really actually need wisdom in this life. Those who think that they know better and think that they are on the right path. Many people operate that way. And so, as we look at this passage this morning, what I want to do is I want you to consider uh, three consequences that come uh, when you reject wisdom's call. Three consequences of rejecting the call to follow in the steps of wisdom. And I think the first consequence we see in uh, verses 20 to 23, where we see that uh, by rejecting wisdom, uh, your ears are closed. Rejecting wisdom ultimately closes off your ears. Look at what uh, we see in these, these opening verses of our section here, in verses 20 to 23. Notice here that he personifies, and by when I say personifies, it means he kind of uh, presents wisdom as a person. Uh, he personifies wisdom here for the first time in the book. He's going to do that a lot of different times in Proverbs. Uh, but notice that he personifies wisdom not as a guy, but as a lady. Uh, and that is not because women by nature are loud, right? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> no, because actually later on in the book, he's going to personify uh, wisdom in all her beauty and attractiveness. He wants you to see wisdom uh, in the same way that you would see, like, oh, this is actually something that's attractive. It, it's, 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 it's worth pursuing. And notice here that wisdom, what is she doing? Uh, but she is out in the streets. She is loud and she is calling to public to heed wisdom's instruction. Uh, this call is loud and public. It's not soft and private. Think about it this way. It's kind of the difference between somebody spreading the message via telephone, right? So when I mean telephone, I mean like the game telephone, like that you play in elementary school. You might still play it now. That's totally cool if you do that. Um, but in the game telephone, are you trying to be loud and obnoxious? Maybe you are. I don't know. But no, the idea is that you're, you're soft. You're, you're whispering it. You're only doing it to one person at a time, right? It's not uh, loud and boisterous not very appealing in many ways. Whereas the call that uh, wisdom is doing here is more like somebody who's got a megaphone in the streets calling out, hey, stop what you're doing. Listen to me. Turn from your ways, you simple, naive, ignorant fool. See the difference, right? You want to keep doing that? No. I don't think so either. Right? But that's the idea here that Solomon's presenting. He's saying wisdom is not hiding. Wisdom is not concealed. Wisdom is not something that is secret knowledge that you don't have access to. And in fact, notice that it says wisdom here is calling out not just from her house. She's calling out in the streets, in the market, at the city gate. These are the places that in ancient Jewish society would have been the most public crossroads. Think about on the steps of your local uh, you know, capital building. Think about the, the marketplace in the morning when it's buzzing with all kinds of people. It's very public. It's very accessible to the masses. 
It's not something that's being hidden, especially for young people who are weakly presented with the wisdom of the Bible. All right? I mean, think about you for a moment here. Most of you have come to, to church probably a lot of your life. You've gone to Sunday school classes. You've gone to Bible studies. You've gone to, you name it, right? You've gone to camps. Wisdom is something that God is not trying to hide from you. It's, it's loud. It's public. It's, it's often. It's repeated. The question is, are you listening to that? Are you heeding that? And notice the call of wisdom here in verse 22 is, How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? The idea of the simple here is the person who is naive, who is ignorant. It's the person who is actively choosing to spend their life chasing what doesn't matter. And the offer here is one of grace. It says in verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I, I, I will give you blessing and joy and freedom. Right? I'm not here to, to just try to uh, give you a better way of life. Yeah, it's better, but this is, the li- this is the path that is going to give you fullness of life. Notice that this is a call that seems to have been repeated over and over and over again. Because wisdom is here saying, how long will you keep going on like this? How long will you keep going down this path where you think you know better than God does? In fact, it kind of reminds me, that that language of how long reminds me of Elijah on Mount Carmel. You remember the battle, the showdown between him and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? It's a story that most of us are familiar with in Sunday school, right? Where uh, Elijah is all by himself challenging these 400 prophets of Baal. And he tells the people of Israel who have been uh, led astray and have been worshiping uh, this false god, but also still holding on to kind of their association with the one true God. He tells them, how long are you going to keep doing this? How long are you going to keep limping between two different opinions? If God is the true God, then give him your all. Forsake all these other things, right? If, if Baal's God, then go, do it. But don't limp between two different opinions. Go all in. Don't delay. Stop, stop wasting time. I think I've shared in here before the story of uh, the two guys that uh, a group of us were evangelizing when I was in seminary at a, on a college campus uh, both of them were named Nick, so we had Nick and Nick Jr. is how we just referred to them, right? And I remember, I'm pretty sure it was Nick Jr., at least I know his name was Nick. Uh, in those conversations, I remember him so clearly that we were presenting the gospel, we were presenting the good news of the hope that you have in Jesus. And I just remember him so clearly and so contently saying, he's like, yeah, it sounds really good, and I think I'll, I think I'll do that at some point in life, but just not right now. And I hope that you, when you hear that, recognize the foolishness in that type of statement. That acts as if that's something that you control your life. Right? Wisdom is calling out now. Why forsake it any longer? Don't delay. Wisdom is calling out to you now. And if you keep doing this, it's going to close off your ears. You're going to start to become dull to the message. And that becomes even more of a a danger because of consequence number two, where we see that rejecting wisdom actually uh, damages your life. It damages your life. Look at verses 24 and 27. In verse 24, we see that wisdom is, is heard, but wisdom is not actually listened to. 
It says in verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen. Refuse is an active word. That's not something that you just did passively. It's a choice. It's the difference of the parent who says, did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? Well, how do you know if you did what they said or heard what they said? Because you acted upon it. And clearly, those who are listening to wisdom here are not heeding that call. In verses 24 and 25, we see how the fool rejects God's wisdom. And there's no reasonable excuse. Especially no reasonable excuse that you were ignorant as if I didn't know. Right? Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen. Because I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Right? It's wisdom's way of saying, listen, I was calling you on the phone. My number was popping up. You knew it was me and what you did. You just clicked ignore. I stretched out my hand to you, kind of like a, a player in a basketball game, right? I, I, I reached out my hand to help you up and you swatted it away. That's what you did. You believe that you knew better and chose to do life your own way rather than the way that actually brings freedom. Therefore, listen to this, the fool's rejection of God's wisdom is met with God's wisdom rejecting the fool in verses 26 and 27. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. I don't know about you, but that verse kind of sounds harsh, doesn't it? Does God's wisdom actually laugh at us when bad things happen to us? It does sound harsh, but consider how the fool was the first one to laugh at God's wisdom. This is, this is nothing more than the laughter of saying, like, I told you so, right? I, I told you this was going to happen. What did you think was going to happen if you kept going down this path? Compares in this section the terror and calamity uh, very similar to a storm, right? Verse 27, when terror strikes you like a storm. And the type of storm it's talking about here, I mean, we, we can relate to this to some degree, right? We live in the Midwest. We know that we get tornadoes around here. Uh, we understand how quickly uh, funnel clouds develop. We know how quickly uh, things can turn very, very suddenly. That's the imagery of verse 27 here. This is this idea that when these things come, like a whirlwind, you're going to see the distress and the anguish that comes because you did not listen to wisdom's instruction. When life's storms come, the fool will reap the consequences of the decision to reject God. And sometimes that's self-induced because of the very deliberate choices that you've made. Uh, that you've made. But it can also come from just life in general, producing trouble, hardship, right? Sometimes those things are just part of the consequences of living in a natural, sinful, fallen world. But because your life is built on foolishness rather than God's wisdom, there's going to be a lot harder struggle that comes with it. Which then ultimately leads us to see in the final verses of this how rejecting wisdom really hardens your heart. How it hardens your heart. Uh, again, we're not talking about a physical heart here. We're talking about your spiritual heart. talking about your soul. 
If you look at verses 28 to 33, uh, you don't see this specific wording about hardening the heart. Uh, But I do believe that it shows what the natural progression here is in this story, right? When you start to close off your ears to wisdom, when you begin to reap the consequences of foolishness in your life, the reality is that each and every day, each and every moment that you reject those things, your heart grows colder and harder towards the Lord. You can only reject God's offer to fear him so many times before it's too late. In fact, that language of a heart being hardened at the call of God's wisdom, do you know where we see that probably first most clearly in the Bible? We see it with Pharaoh. We see it in the book of Exodus, where time and time again, God's wisdom through Moses is calling out to Pharaoh to heed God's instruction, and Pharaoh says no. And the Bible uses the language time and time again that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards the Lord. Now you might look at these verses, and I think naturally so. You look at verse 28. It says, they will call upon me. They will call out to me in wisdom, right? They will call out to me, but I will not answer them. They're searching for God, though. They're, they're, they're making a genuine appeal to the Lord. And that's true. Verse 28 does say that. But the rest of this section makes it clear that this only comes when time for this decision has already passed. It's too late. Perhaps the reason God is rejecting this plea is because it's not sincere. It's really born out of more a just desire to be relieved of the consequences of sin, not after a genuine desire to want wisdom. After all, that's kind of what we saw with the thief on the cross, the very first thief who wanted Jesus to perform all these miracles to get him off the cross. He just wanted relief from his consequences. He didn't want to actually, uh, he didn't want Jesus himself. We saw the second thief eventually came around to that, but the first thief just wanted relief. But we could also think of this as the cries of those in judgment who want a second chance, right? Who just say, listen, I messed up. I see it now. I I see it so clearly. It's like the child who's about to get punishment because, you know, they did what was wrong. And they're like, no, 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 I'll change, I'll change, I'll change. And it's like, well, the the point for that is we're past that. It's kind of the person who wants a mulligan. Anybody know what a mulligan is, by the way? What's a mulligan? If you play golf or something like that. That's a what? It's a redo, right? It's a do-over. Oops, I messed up. Can I, get a, can I get another chance? A lot of people treat life as if you're going to get a mulligan, as if you're going to be able to say to God in judgment one day when you're standing before I get it now, I get it now. I get it. Just give me another chance. But instead, God says they will be left to deal with the consequences of their foolish decisions. He says in verse 31, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. They're going to have to deal with the consequences of the choices that they have made. God's, it's God's way of saying, you, you, at the end of the day, you will get what you deserve. And verse 32 is kind of a summary of all this. He says that the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago where those who desire to run after sin because they think that that will actually bring them greatest joy and greatest freedom are actually trapped and enslaved by the very thing that they think will bring them freedom and joy. 
Same thing is true here where foolishness, the path that they choose, which they think will bring greatest joy and greatest life, is actually the path that leads to destruction. The simple are destroyed not because God wasn't gracious. I want you to hear that this morning. The simple, the naive, the ignorant, however you want to call the fool in this passage, they're not destroyed because God is somehow not gracious, because God is extremely gracious and has made that call abundantly clear. But because God, uh, but because of their ultimate rejection, they chose not to listen. It's the same thing like somebody who's driving a car towards a cliff and there's signs, there's bystanders, there's people all pleading with them to turn around, go the opposite direction. You're headed toward destruction and they actively choose to keep going towards the edge of the cliff. These are dire consequences, right? To see your ears be closed to wisdom, to see your life damaged and destroyed by the consequences of sin, to see your heart hardened over time to the point where you truly are not repentant. Right? Wisdom doesn't want those things for you. And we're going to see in future weeks here, we'll talk about the joys and the, the, the positive side of why wisdom wants you to go that way. But this is, we have to talk about the negative side, right? We have to talk about the consequences. It says, listen, if you don't heed this, this is what's going to happen. And so as we look at this passage, let's think about a couple of things that we really need to understand together this morning. First, to reject wisdom is to reject God. This is not just about rejecting uh, one way of life that's going to be maybe just better, a preference, than maybe other ways. No, this is, this is one of eternal significance. We talked about at the beginning how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to reject wisdom is to reject worship and submission to God. The fool says in his heart, we learn in Proverbs and in Psalms, there is no God. Fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I know most of you here in this room probably this morning wouldn't outright say that with your mouth. But notice that it doesn't say the fool says with his mouth, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's a big difference because you may actively say right now, like, no, I, I totally believe in God. I totally believe that God exists. But when it comes to the day-to-day life, you kind of live life as if God doesn't exist. You live life because you want to go your direction. You want to do things your way. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's, that's living in foolishness. You live and operate as if God's authority has no bearing on your life. You say, I see what God says, but I'm going to choose to do things my own way. I believe that I ultimately know better for my life than what God knows about my life. And student, that's such a foolish game to play. So rather than reject wisdom, our passage this morning would plead with you, according to verse 23 and 33, rather than to reject, to repent, to turn. In fact, that word in verse uh, 23 for turn is the biblical word for repentance. It's the actual word for repentance. So God's saying, hey, turn from the way that you're going. And not just turn away from that, but turn towards the source of true and living life. That is God himself. 
Again, this is not simply about living the good life versus a hard life. This is the difference between life and death, heaven and hell. And notice verse 23 and 33 talk about all the blessings that come from when you do this. I will pour my spirit unto you. I will give you understanding. I will give you security. I will give you ease. I will give you protection. And we're going to talk about practically what that means like in a few, few minutes here. But, I mean, why would you not want those things? What makes you think that you know those things better for your life than God does? So you have to understand, first of all, to reject wisdom is to reject God. But secondly, this world is filled with all kinds of voices trying to drown out wisdom's voice. And I hope that you recognize that. And if you don't, I need you to see that this morning. I need you to pay attention to this point. Because often the reason we don't listen to the pleas of God from the Bible is because his voice is drowned out by all the other voices going on in your life right now. And if you don't believe me, just assess your life for just a moment. Think about all the voices, all the wisdom, all the things that are influencing your thinking right now. Think about your friends for a moment. How so often you live to be approved by them, to live to be accepted by them. Find your identity and who you are around your friends. And so you more easily listen to the things that they say. You more easily go along with what maybe they want to do or how they talk or how they dress or these things because you believe that their voices are very important for you. Think about for a moment the voices of entertainment. So often, everything from shows to movies to video games, you name it, all deaden our senses to the things of eternal significance. That could be through binge-watching shows and just becoming dull to your senses because these things are so much more important. Or maybe those things are actually influencing your thinking in ways that you don't even realize right now causing you to long for and crave for things that you know would not actually be pleasing to God, right? So pair that with all the voices of your friends and your peers, and then you have that going on. And then let's talk for a moment about your phones and social media, right? I know you're like, is this really that conversation? Yeah, it kind of is. How often we care more about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. I mean, just, those are just three examples I'm giving this morning. But you start to realize all the things that are trying to speak into your life, all those voices that are trying to influence the direction of how you live your life, it's no wonder that wisdom is shouting out to you right now, trying to call out to you above all those other things. In reality, Proverbs makes very clear the naive don't listen because, to God because they simply don't want to. One commentator in Proverbs says it this way. He says, the problem lies in our affections. Affections meaning what we want. He says, we love what ought to frighten us. We delight in what should repulse us. And we hate what should be most cherished. Therefore, wisdom rightly asks... How long? How long will you live that way? How long will you limp between two different opinions? So the question for you this morning is, are you allowing wisdom to be heard above all other voices in your life? (laughs) Wisdom cries out in the most important areas, right? The city square, 
town hall, the most important areas of influence, I would encourage you this morning, students, allow God's wisdom to speak into the most important areas of your life. Third, the wise builder life upon the rock. And if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because it's biblical, right? It comes exactly from uh, Matthew chapter 7. We'll show you in just a moment here. But notice what happens to the foolish person in verses 26 and 27. We kind of hit on it briefly. But what happens to the foolish person when the storms of life come? What happens to them? They kind of wish they had a floaty, don't they? Right? <laughs> kind of wish they had some life preservers, because life's not going too well. In fact, they're, they're drowning. Their life is ruined. It is destroyed. It is made to be, verse 33, a disaster. Again, he compares it to a whirlwind, a storm and a whirlwind, right? So how many of you were around when the Washington tornado happened about a decade ago? Some of you maybe remember what that looked like, the calamity, the aftermath of what that looked like, right? That's kind of the picture that Solomon's trying to present to you this morning. That's, that's agonizing to think about. That when you choose to live life your way, and then the storms of life come, everything's just a wreck. It's a disaster. It's a war zone. The difference Proverbs describes is the exact same as what Jesus portrayed in Matthew chapter 7, when he talks about the difference between the wise and the foolish. Notice how he, this is the conclusion. This is the summary of everything he says in the Sermon on the Mount, which some people would say is the most famous sermon Jesus ever taught. And this is his conclusion. This is his summary point of that whole sermon. Everyone then who hears these words, Sermon on the Mount, these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The, The storms came, right? The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Every type of calamity hits this house. But what happens to it? It stays strong. It stays strong. The wise, they build their house on the sand. They build it on a foundation that's always going to be moving, always going to be struggling. The fool thinks he knows what is best and is ultimately wiped away. This is Jesus' way of saying Build your life upon my words. Build your life upon my wisdom that I am so freely and graciously extending to you this morning. So student, are you building your life upon the wisdom of Jesus? You can only do that if you know Jesus personally and relationally as your Lord. And I want to be clear about something here because this this could come across the wrong way. Do understand what I'm saying this morning. This does not mean that if you have Jesus in your life and you are following the path of Jesus, that means everything in life is going to go really well for you. That you're not going to be a subject of pain and suffering and hard times. If you've been around any length of time, you know that that's not true because we still live in a sinful, fallen world. But when your life is built upon Christ, when the most unexpected and the most challenging of life circumstances do come upon you, your life has a a force of stability that the rest of this world does not have. 
it is a strength that allows you to be able to endure and come out stronger rather than be left with a broken down house. Your life remains secure because of the stability that comes from building your life upon Jesus. Next, wisdom warns us using important life principles. This, this, this passage is filled with a lot of principles that you might hear in life, but are actually very biblical ones, right? Uh, maybe you have heard of the excuse principle, the excuse principle that says, well, I didn't know, right? Sometimes we get into trouble, things happen, and we say to ourselves, well, I didn't know any better. I didn't know that I should have done that. I didn't know that I should have done this. Wisdom in calling out to you says you don't, you don't actually have that excuse. Especially for those of you who have been subject to the word of God time and time again throughout your life. It makes it very clear. You can't one day stand before God and say, I didn't know. You, you're not afforded that opportunity. You did know. It's just in your sin you chose not to go the way that God would want you to. And so Proverbs makes it very clear. We are without excuse. Perhaps you've heard of the response principle here of, I told you so. Right? <laughs> it sounds really harsh. I totally get that. But that's exactly what uh, the middle section of this passage reminds us of. Seeing when we suffer the consequences of our poor decisions, even when we give wise counsel. This is, this is the person who's saying to somebody, listen, this shouldn't surprise you that this happened. I've been in numerous situations with young people over the years where it's, they came asking for wisdom, they came asking for counsel that was given to them, and guess what they chose to do? They chose to do the exact opposite, and things didn't go well for them. And I'm not saying that because I'm an all-wise knowing person, but it's just one of those where you look back and you say, well, what did you expect was going to happen? This shouldn't surprise you. And that's exactly what Proverbs is warning us about the, the path of life, right? If you continue to pursue life apart from God, it shouldn't surprise you that some of these things happen. And then finally, we see kind of the punishment principle of you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. That's actually biblical from Galatians 6-7 where Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Right? We live in a farming community around here. We understand this. What you plant is what you get. At least I hope so. Hopefully farmers still get something. But this is not the Christian view of karma. This is just the God's view of justice for those who actively choose to live in wisdom or drown in folly. You will reap what you sow. So student, learn these principles now. See them as a warning that is actually of God's grace that he's given to you right now. This is actually God's gracious provision to tell you these things now before they are too late. But when you see them for what they are, do not run in fear, but run to the very source of wisdom. Because, as the perfect picture of wisdom, Jesus calls for us to come to him. The New Testament talks about Jesus being the fullest personification of wisdom. Again, that's a simple way of saying that Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we see what wisdom is in perfection. It simply means that we see Jesus' wisdom at its best. And in the New Testament, we hear Jesus calling time and time again to all who will, eat, who will listen. For those, he says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And then he tells those people what? 
Come to me. Come to me. You want relief from your spiritual deafness? Then come to me. You want to avoid the judgment of spiritual destruction? Then come to me. You no longer want to be spiritually dead in your sins? Then come to me. Student, the only appropriate response to the warning of wisdom is to run to the very source of wisdom, which is Jesus himself. In Jesus, you will find the fullness of life that foolishness will never be able to grant to you. And when you do, you will start to experience the blessings that wisdom brings to your life, which we're going to begin to explore together when we jump into chapter 2 next week. So hopefully you'll be back for that part. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. And, Lord, I do pray that you have given ears to our students to heed this warning this morning, that you would allow them to hear the cries of wisdom that ultimately point us back to Jesus, help them to see in Christ we have the perfect source of wisdom that is able to give us life. Lord, that is freedom, that is joy. So please drive our students to repentance and faith that they may know the joy of life of Christ, we ask. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. Have a great morning.